time to kind of give me a little insight as well as my listeners about some of the things that you have going on. So what I like to always do is I like to always ask my guests just to give a little background on themselves so it kind of gives me as well as the listener somewhat of a a better picture of who it is that we're actually interacting with and who it is that we're actually learning about. Sounds good. Well, my name, um, like you said, is Elizabeth Bernice. Um, I uh, was, um, you know, first most of when I was three years old. Um, by the age of seven, I thought that um, sex was just a normal part of life. At 11, I was sexually active, and at 21, um, I was in a full-fledged uh, sex addiction. I um, was prostituting myself out of porn addiction, um, and I just was really struggling with um, my identity in sex because it was introduced as an early age. I just thought that that's all I was good for. Um, I um, was taught not to speak out about what was going on at home, um, and unfortunately, the abuse happened at home, and so I just kind of became silent. Uh, the term is called sledge of mute. We are able to speak out about, um, you know, you're able to speak, but you don't have the ability to speak in uncomfortable environments. But to me, every environment became uncomfortable because I didn't know who I was able to talk to or what I was able to say. And so school teachers and therapists just thought that I was this bad kid um, because I was angry about the abuse that was happening. I didn't know how to speak out about it. And so I just lived my life just hidden in silence and insecurity. Even into my marriage, I, um, you know, didn't know how to communicate effectively about my feelings or, um, I just shut down a lot about things. So, um, so things, things in my marriage did not work out. You know, things on both parts, not just mine. Um, and then this last year, I, well, since 2015, I knew I was to start writing a book about my abuse, speaking out about it. And, um, I was still married and still kind of terrified about, you know, what was to come out if I spoke out about it. And so I had the opportunity this last year to meet up with um, Mr. Sugar Ray Destin and get my um, abuse out. So my book is called No Longer Silent. Just released. I have the book launch coming up now, November 1st. And it's just the story of uh, my journey of overcoming sexual abuse. Okay, okay. You know, usually, um, like your story is as unique as is everyone's story that goes through things like this. And as an individual from the outside looking in, you know, one of the questions that we always ask or one of the, the things that we always say is, why don't you tell somebody? You know, why don't you tell someone? You know, and from, again, the outside looking in, that's kind of an insensitive way to look at it because obviously, of course, you know, we don't under, we don't really understand the dynamic like you were just saying, the dynamic of I can't go talk to my mom, I can't go talk to my, my dad, I can't go talk to my aunts or my uncles or anything like that. So just kind of, you know, touching on that particular subject again and like you say how it how it kind of it started early and it had a, you know, it just had an effect on you as, as you got older. But just kind of touch on that a little bit more for just the listeners who, again, like me from the outside looking in, just 
just having this, you know, just looking at it from an insensitive standpoint to say, why don't you just tell someone? Just, just kind of give us a little insight on how that isn't as easy as it as we try to make it seem to be. Well, my I have a five-year-old, and when she was three, she was um, she was kind of starting to form words, and it was kind of the beginning of her. Um, you know, building a vocabulary, building. So at that age, one, I'm not understanding what just happened to me. And then um, I'm a sponge, so everything that happens, you know, when kids, the earliest time to teach them something is at that young age. And so here I am at three, my teacher tells me not to tell anyone that it was our secret. And so secrets were, you know, at three years old, as a kid, secrets are everything. Um, and so keeping that secret between him and I, and then like I said, that. Um, that was the first encounter. It happened so often that I didn't know that it wasn't normal in my life. And so um, he told me not to say anything. Mom had a rule to not talk about it. So it just was my personal um, thing that I carried for myself. So I didn't want to tell anyone. So it, it to me, just became normal. There was nothing outside of that that said it wasn't okay. Um, it wasn't until I was 13 that I had my first sleepover, did I realize that the life that I had lived up to that point wasn't okay. Mom was a drug addict and an alcoholic, um, very abusive. She, um, you know, would teach us how to uh, roll joints or go buy her drugs. But we didn't think that that was unusual because nothing, you know, at home, that was what was taught. You know, what you're taught at home, you don't know is different until you're, you're taught something different um, at an earlier stage. So. Um, me not saying anything was because it wasn't. Um, I thought it was it was a secret and that it was okay what I was doing because it was normal. Like I said, it wasn't until I was thirteen that I was like, "Oh man, I don't think I was supposed to be doing this." Um, and then there was a paradigm shift that started at that point. But like I said, I was so deep into it that at twenty one, though I knew it was wrong, I liked it too much to stop. Okay, so it's one of those. You know, situations, like you say, the abuse became, like you say, it became normal. And so it actually went from an abuse to an actual, somewhat of a, an enjoyment to the point. Because like you said, that had been a part of your life for just about the entire, the entirety of your life. You know, you said you started at, at three. So obviously that, that has been a part of your life for a long period of, you know, a long period of time. So, you know, kind of moving on, like you said, you, you, you wrote your book and things of that particular nature, and you said you obviously had the thought back in, in 2015, but you just recently got it published this year. Could you just talk to, you know, just just talk about the process of actually putting that out? Because a lot of times when people experience certain things like that, they go through life living with that. They go through life with that. Uh, balled up on the inside they don't like you said you didn't you didn't necessarily have anyone to talk to you didn't really know how to express yourself so and you said a, you know a paradigm shift happened so could you just explain just what actually transpired to the point that you know that you said hey now is the time to go i understand that because obviously of course i'm, I'm privy to a, a lot of the things that you know that that you've gone through not a lot but just what you've given to the group and I kind of I kind of know some of the you know the answers to these but just kind of because obviously sometimes when you ask a question someone can kind of answer it 
differently and give a little bit more insight about it. But just actually, just what actually just said for you to just say, hey, you know what? It's time. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to put this out and, you know, hey, let's go. So uh, in, my, in my 20s when I started, um, when I started speaking, it was after um, I, I had just had an incident. Um, so my youth pastors had tucked me in. Um, so after 13, realizing that sex was not okay and the life that our upbringing was not okay, um, I then got into the church and um, like I said, my youth pastors kind of took me in. Um, there's six of us all together. So we got taken away when I was 15. Um, and getting taken away, again, just put us in a different at- atmosphere. Um, but then, like I said, my personal behavior, excuse me, of, of sex just kind of escalated. And it got to a point where in my 20s, I was, like I said, prostituting myself, porn addiction. Um, but at the same time, I'm in ministry and no one knows this kind of hidden place that I'm in. Um, but it gets so bad that, um, I was, I was now a youth pastor, or rather, there was a ministry in Grand Junction, I moved to Grand Junction, my youth pastors became, um, a lead pastor, and I'm now serving as their outreach pastor, and there was a gentleman there who, um, kind of sought me out, we had some encounters, he was, he was a very older gentleman, and I saw him prey on some other girls, and I was like, oh no, that he can't, like, I, I know what it is to be, you know, she started off kind of, oh, you're cute, you're beautiful, you know, all that stuff, and I'm, I'm insecure, so I'm taking everything he's saying in, and he, um, I noticed him doing this to these other girls, but they're much younger than me, um, again, I'm in my 20s now, and um, other youth leaders are noticing as well, and they're like, but they can't find any evidence to prove what he's doing. And I'm telling myself, like, man, I'm that evidence, I'm that proof. Um, but it took me three months to actually say something, because again, my pastor um, is like my dad, and he is like telling my dad that I have had this problem and these encounters, and I was too embarrassed and humility to tell him. Um, but I finally did, and when I told him, um, I was ready. It took me three months to, to, to have this conversation to let him know what happened. And when I confront him, he obviously confronts the gentleman. And the gentleman says that that, um, that I wanted it, that I wanted him, and that he, um, that he, what is it called? He told me that he didn't want me um, and that he didn't want to go through with it or, or whatever. So he kind of put it all on me. And then, again, because my pastor dad was a pastor, he couldn't take sides. So I left this meeting feeling worse um and things actually escalated even more um i obviously stepped down from ministry um and i now have a revolving door of men and um but it's, it's getting really bad that i do reach out to um my pastor parents and i tell them um man this is this is hard um they notice i'm not going to church and so they really just want to check in with me on what's going on and my pastor dad tells me if I don't get my things situated, that I can never do ministry with him again. Um, and, and it hurt me because they were, like I said, my parents. Um, you know, after getting taken away, they're the only people for me that loved me. And I couldn't go without that love. And so 
wanted to see and that I had to really um, take take my again my paradigm shift as my responsibility and so I just really um, got into self-help I learned about Eric Thomas um, and then started just um, again shifting my mind from um, abuse to to a victor and, and victory okay one of the key elements that I, I like to convey in this podcast is is, uh, is health and not just physical health but mental health and you, you touched on that you like you said that you that you went through you went through therapy and you know a lot of times you know a lot of people are going through various issues and they don't reach out to someone else because they feel like hey it's my problem you know what do they know they're not going through what I'm going through you know I can figure it out on my own you know so but the bigger person is the individual that knows that you know hey I need help you know I need I need help so could you just I mean could you just touch on just you know as, as much as you as you care to um some of the things that that you took away from therapy you know, just from a from a mental standpoint, because again, going back to like you said, you've been you've been dealing with something since you were three years old, and then you know, individuals that you that were your parents and things of that nature, they kind of shunned you away, and then you go to another group of people that you felt, you know, like you said, were your parents, and they kind of did the same thing, and so you know, kind of mentally. How did how did you how were you able to just say hey I'm gonna I'm gonna put my trust into someone else again even though I've been essentially backstabbed you know multiple times what 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 just said you know what hey I'm I'm gonna give this another try so first of all the process definitely was not easy at all um, it, it takes this inner this inner courage this inner belief of one you have to acknowledge something's wrong with you. Um, and, and I realized that, um, my, so my abuse wasn't my responsibility. It wasn't my fault, but my actions, how I responded to the abuse was, and I had to acknowledge that. And it's hard for people to say, um, because we, we usually blame it was my mom because she didn't believe me or it was these men. Um, they are the ones who, you know, took me to the garage or they laid me down or they, and that may have been right, um, but they didn't post the ads on Craigslist. They didn't um, watch the porn. They didn't. Um, I literally had a list of men and a revolving door. So I, I was so strategic about it that they never saw each other. But every moment somebody was getting out of my house, that wasn't my abuser's fault. That wasn't my mom's fault. That was mine. And so, one, it's really acknowledging I have a responsibility not only to the abuse, but to my healing. Um, and so because of that, I then had to, um, I had to research and find, so the first, I went through three therapists before I actually found the one um, that I can trust in. Because one, I'm a believer, and so one of them, she would say, well, doesn't your God believe this? And I was like, if you don't believe what I believe, this is not going um, and so then another one, um, I can, I just felt myself talking her into a circle. And so that didn't work. And then another one, she didn't understand, um, well, I just felt like she didn't, uh, we didn't connect. It's just, there was this, mis this misunderstanding. And so I, I couldn't, um, 
super silent because it was it was speaking out about the abuse. My business is called Speak Out, and so all of it is God. Um, Speak Out is from Psalms 107.2, um, and usually the new the, the King James version is if you have been de- redeemed, say so. Um, but the New Living Translation says, um, "Have you not been redeemed? Speak out." And, and, it, and it says to let, let your enemies know that you have been redeemed. And so speaking out is not just for those who have been victimized, but it's to tell my abusers that I'm no longer going to hide behind the secrets and hide behind the lies. Because most of those who have been abused nowadays have been from family members or someone they love, and they tell them I'm not to say anything. And it's like, no, I'm going to speak out because there's other people. And I, and I, I think even... It took me a while to even release the book. I, I had the author's proof for two weeks, and I still was trying to silence myself. And I, and I thought to myself as I read through the proof, I said, there's a 13-year-old little girl whose, whose stepdad is touching her, and she feels like that is okay. And I have to let her know that that me being no longer silent is her hope that she can get out of it. And so I, I cannot sit back and allow uh, myself to be silent. And so again, the, the book, the title, it came from God, um, and, and everything about it, even my name. So my legal name is actually Elizabeth Ellsworth, and Ellsworth is my um, ex-husband's last name. And so putting Elizabeth Bernice, Elizabeth means consecrated and set apart to God, and Bernice means to bring to victory. And so the name was even intentional, is that God set me apart to bring victory to, to those who have been victimized. And so that name... Um, even how I put it on there it is, is purposeful. And then the book uh, cover, um, it, it, it's so powerful. Um, I had a friend, um, I went to Bible college when I was 17 to about 21, and I had a friend who was an artist, and he saw the pain that I went through, the struggle that I talked about in the book of literally trying to uh, live this new life of salvation and, and worth in God, however, still being victimized in my mind because no one knows of the abuse that I still face and um, some of the things that I was doing behind the scenes. But he was able to draw the hurt and draw the pain. Um, and so he was the, the perfect person to draw. And originally, she had a, the character had a, a gender. It was supposed to be a girl. It was supposed to be me since I'm telling my story. Um, but as he drew the first edit and I got, you know, some feedback on it, the fact that it has no gender, um, I actually came across a young man who he was abused. And and same thing, he, he didn't know how to speak out about it. And so not just women deal with the abuse, men do as well. And so um, the drawing is non-gender for, uh, for a reason. And so just bringing out the pain of both men and women who face sexual abuse. And again, the whole thing is to give hope that you can be no longer silent. It's okay to speak out. Um, it gives you hope, and the more you speak out, the more you heal. Um, I healed. Every chapter was healing. And when, and every time I speak out about the book, it's healing. And so it's just a, it's a journey of my healing now. Oh, wow. <clears throat> I, didn't, I didn't know that either. It's like, you, like you were talking about the, the title. It was a lot to unpack right there, so I'm just going to try to ask questions as it pertains to what you just said. So you said you, your company is, is Speak Out. 
Okay, so what what exactly um, is the is the goal? Is the is the, is the purpose of the of the of the company? What 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 are you looking to actually accomplish? So my overall goal is to, um, like you said, my middle name is Bernice, um, and my overall goal is to bring victory to those who have been abused. So my ultimate life goal is to build a a center um, called the Victory Center where. Um, people are able to come have therapy. Um, they're able to, because in, in my life I was not able to function um, because I was a foster kid. I didn't, I wasn't taught those basic life skills. Um, and so I didn't know how to budget. I didn't know how to finance. I didn't know anything about, um, you know, I had a property mindset. My mom lived on welfare. I didn't know how to do, um, you know, how to manage my money, how to do any of that. And so the center is just helping with. Um, it's going to have apartments to help with single moms, um, uh, those, like, after I got a foster care, they kind of just booted me to the curve when I became 18, and I didn't know anything, so for those children between that 18 to 25 years old um, that need help, and so speaking out is being able to, again, give those who have been abused a voice to speak out, um, and then giving them a place uh, a, a cultivate an environment that they're able to speak out since I didn't have that environment to speak out. Like I said, there'll be therapy there. Um, any of those basic needs will be there. And then also, uh, like I, <laughs> until I got married, I really didn't cook. So cooking classes, kind of, again, those basic needs that weren't taught because of my environment growing up. And so my ultimate goal, like I said, is the Victory Center. Uh, but starting out from speaking out is that you Again, you have to take the personal responsibility um, and allow yourself and give yourself permission to be okay with not being okay. And so the Victory Center is that place to say, I know that you're not okay and we're here for you. Um, and so we're, we're listening to, to you and, and your hurt and pain so giving you a, heal, a place to heal. Um, so ultimately it's my goal through um, the whole speaking out. Okay, okay. Um, so you talked about your, your book cover. It was initially supposed to, like you say, be a female because it was your life story. And one of the things that Sugar Ray has drilled into us is a target market. Who, who exactly is it that we're, that we're talking to? And from day one, you said your target market was, was women. And so has your market essentially changed somewhat because, like you said, you with the genderless person on the cover and understanding the aspect that males and females go through abuse. So from an aspect, again, from your target market, can a male who has gone through abuse as well, what do you feel that he can take away from your book? You know, um, what he can take away from the book, and, and um, <laughs> I actually have a chapter called Let's Talk About It. And it's a chapter where I talk about sex. And I feel that, and, and this is my personal opinion, uh, just again from, from life experience, is that males were introduced to sex at an early age. Um, typically, you know, pornography or, you know, a cousin um, or, or what have you. And so to them, men have this view of sex early. Well, then you have women who are told you need to dress like this and look like this and you can't do this because a guy, a boy is going to look at you this way or that way. And so chapter, um, I guess chapter eight, where, where I'm really breaking down 
dam. That dam sources water to Las Vegas, to California, and to all and to different different places. And so the same the same water that's uncontained does damage, but water that is contained is able to give power. And so if we continue to be uncontained in our, our sexual behavior, we're gonna cause damage to every person that we encounter. And it's gonna take years for us to restore that damage. But if we contain that sexual desire in, in the container, again as a spiritual person that was supposed to be in marriage, then those two people, again when the scripture says that those two people when they become one, can do so much damage together. So much power can, can be um a force through that relationship. And so again, I, I believe that my book for a male audience definitely hit um when I, as i talk about that that chapter and the chapters surrounding that of, about you know the the uncontained and contained sexual desire that was a <laughs> that was a great analogy because my the only knowledge of the colorado river i had outside of it being in colorado was that it was responsible for you know building the grand canyon but just getting the aspect that it sends water to California, sends water to Las Vegas, and then just the way that you that you reference the hurricane being uncontained water versus something that's dammed up and something being damaging and something, the same thing, it's, it's like what they say about fire, it can either be, it can burn you, it can hurt you, or it can be a source of, of power, so yeah, that, that's, that's, a, man, that's a great analogy, that's a great analogy. Um, just wrapping up now, um, you talked about what it is that you're, um, you want your company to be, and like we touched on in the beginning, you are a you are a speaker as well, and you're speaking out um, about, like you say, your experiences as well as a multitude of other things. You have a book now, so you, you're able to uh, utilize one of the, the ten methods that Sugar Ray has talked about for us, uh, selling from the stage, um, but. Being a, I'm an introverted person myself, obviously, um, but being a speaker, it takes a level of being an extrovert and things of that nature. So just kind of what, what made you essentially say, hey, I, I want to be a speaker. You know what? I, I want to be a speaker. I feel like the message that I have, obviously, of course, because of more, some people may say, hey, I have a book. Go buy the book. You know, there's everything I have to say right there. I don't need to get out here. I don't need to get on the stage. I don't need to go get booked for this event. I don't need to go book here. I don't need to be on this plane. I just want to read my book, uh, be at home with my children, or you know, be at home with my husband or, or wife. You know, whatever the situation is. But just the idea that say, hey, the book isn't enough. You know, I want to be a speaker. So what 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 exactly made you want to just be a speaker, so to speak? Um. My life experiences is something that um, I'm actually an introvert too, honestly. Yeah. Um, and so I, um, introverts actually make the best speakers because we were very specific and to the point in, in what we're saying. Um, most extroverts, like if you're on the call, who's mostly talking? The extroverted flamingos, right? Yeah. When we we're on a call, you know, we're like, this is my goal, this is my victory, boom, we're done. Yeah. Uh, we may explain a little bit, you know, here or there, but um, but those flamingos that are extroverts are like, oh, they're over, and they're usually the first ones 
words are in our book, uh, but there's nothing more than hearing someone's voice, the tone in which that you can you can hear. Uh, when I was married, uh, one of the things that were, was said in counseling was that you can be right but wrong at the tone of your voice. You know, what I'm saying can be right, but my tone can be wrong. And so people can read my book and they can understand the words, but they won't understand the tone. They won't understand the hurt and the pain. They can read about it, but they won't hear it until they hear my voice and hear how I struggle through it um, and articulated it. And so I would definitely challenge those who are introverted um, to step out. And you, and you may have to do less um, speaking engagements than an extrovert would, but I, I would still recommend do, doing them, and it would help you become comfortable and, and get out of your shell. Or even doing what you're doing is doing podcasts where someone's not you know visually looking at you. It's typically a one-on-one. Introverts are amazing one-on-one. So, you know, doing one-on-one, um, but then you're obviously reaching a greater audience, then you're going to post that that later on. Um, for me, um, and, and I'm not sure if you're following follow me on social media or not, um, I do a one-minute video. Honestly, that's a stretch for me. Um, but I do it because I know that my audience, which is at 13 to kind of 32 age, um, they are on social media. They, that's where they get all their information. So me doing that one-minute video a day, it's stretching me, but I know what's needed for them. So it's kind of looking outside of myself and seeing, okay, what are those audiences needing? Um, and then I obviously want my legacy, like in my daughter, my future kids, I want them to have something beyond just the book to, to reference back to um, when it comes to, you know, my story. Okay. Yeah, I, I follow you, and um, you have some very inspirational things that you say. Um, one today, it, it, that, that always hits me, you know, the one where you say, you know, when most people say, you know, tomorrow's not promised, because a lot of times we get so caught up in today, and okay, well, I'll just do it tomorrow, and, you know, because I, I have a habit now of, I randomly pick up newspapers now, because a lot of times, depending on, what I've noticed, depending on your social media, depending on who the people that you follow, the people that you follow whatever news that they have, that's what they're going to have. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have the, the greater news or, or other types of news, so to speak. So, yeah, just, just thinking about, hey, um, you know, tomorrow's not promised. You need to go ahead and try to do what you, what you need to do today and go ahead and leave. You know, try to do as much as you can as it pertains to a legacy. And like you said, you have a, a beautiful young daughter, uh, for those that don't know, um, and y'all are interacting i seen uh y'all on the slide the other day you know so <laughs> that was that was that was that was that was uh really really uh cool to see um and just um you know just getting out of uh, just getting out of here um this last question is kind of uh, a little off of what we've been talking about like you said you have a daughter and, and um obviously you know she's she's going to be going to school and things of that particular nature and it's a lot of talk about the magnet school charter school public school private school and all that, all those different type of things. Um, you as a parent, um, just for future parents and current parents and things of that particular nature, um, how important do you feel it is to make sure that your child gets in the right school at an early age? Now, because most people talk about, hey, if you go to this certain college, you can go do this, you can go do this. But going back to what you said, at early ages, that's when children are sponges. That's when they kind of learn the most. Because I, I, I was just 
to a podcast one day and a guy said the most information a ch- well a child's life will be um, somewhat molded by the age of 12 so essentially whatever it is that they're going to be whatever it is they're going to do whatever their interests are you're going to know that by 12 if you're an aware parent you'll know what hey okay this is what my child going to be doing so if your child is lazy okay they're going to be lazy this that and third so again just going back to that as, as you as a parent how important do you feel it is to get a to get your, ch- your child in the right school at, the, at an early age versus we need you to get into the right college you know no it it, it starts before school. Yeah, of course, of course, of course yeah. Because, and, and I think, and, and this is hard, again, for me, um, and I had to make this decision early on with her, is that it's easy for us as parents to give our children what we didn't have. And so, for me, it's easy to spoil her, but she's beautiful. Um, so, when she looks at me, sir, and she bats them beautiful eyes, and she's like, Mommy, and I, it's easy for me to say, yes, I'll give you anything you want. You know, it's, it's so easy. Um, and especially because my mom and I didn't have a relationship, it's easy for me to. So at an early age, I had to tell myself, um, one, she's she's her own person. So I can't I can't give her everything I didn't do or I didn't have because it's just not we're not in the same environment, we're not in the same situation, we're not in the same society. Um, from when I the thirty two years ago, it's not the same now. Um, and so I can't I can't educate her, if you will. The same way that they did 13 years ago. It's totally different. And so it starts at home. Uh, what what was interesting to me um, when when I, um, when she was, before she was even born, is they said that a child that does not have books in the home, their vocabulary is 300 words. However, a child who has books in the home, the vocabulary is 30,000 words. And to me, that was huge. So from, from when she was in the womb, we were reading um, with her. Now she's five. She actually did start kindergarten. Um, and it's very important because I wanted her to go into a school that challenged her mind. Um, however, my daughter is very intelligent, but she's not emotionally ready for that type of challenge, which her dad saw. And so her dad was like, well, let's put her in a place that challenges her, but she's able to still build emotionally. And so um, we actually have her in a, um, a, uh, a, it's a charter school, um, but she's learning Spanish. Again, at that age where she's, she's that sponge, um, it's easy to teach her. So she, again, she's loved books from the beginning. Um, I, I think I posted a video uh, last week of her reading in English and in Spanish. And so, um, so because she's in that school, because she's learning the Spanish, she's challenging two sides of the brain. Um, so for me, she's getting that challenge that I wanted her to um, for her intellect. And then she's also having um, enough English classes. She's around enough kids her age um, that she's also building emotionally. So we, we want her to be emotionally intelligent as well and not just mentally intelligent. Because sometimes we get these kids in, in college um that are amazing. They, they are very intellectual amazing, um, but they're usually socially awkward or um, are emotionally unstable or what have you because we didn't get hit that early on. So we wanted to make sure we hit every angle of who she is. And so the school um, that honestly my husband, ex-husband chose for her um, is amazing. And I'm so glad um, that we are seeing the effects of her, again, her intelligence through the school. 
starts to me it starts before they go to school it continues as you go start school and then obviously as she gets older um still molding her into who she's created to be and i we want her to be as as parents yeah i, I saw the vid of her reading in english and spanish and me and my wife we go back and forth about that all the time about some of the things that that people put their children to do and you know i know i say hey you know you, you just you never know what your child can do you can't put limitations on them based on maybe limitations that you had on yourself maybe from your parents so obviously the goal is to try to be better than the generation that came before you so obviously that's what you have to uh that's what you have to do um well that was a again i'm, I'm glad that you you took time out to to speak with me um your book is out now is it where is it available at um, it is available on, um, you can research it on Google, actually. If you Google No Longer Silent Elizabeth Bernice, um, it'll pop up on Google at, at the moment. So Google is probably the best place that you can get it. You can also follow me on um, Instagram or Facebook, and it's it's Elizabeth B. Um, and the, the link is also posted on my social media site. Okay. This is Elizabeth Bernice. I'm Rashad Horn. Have a good night. And I'll see you. I'll see you later. All right, thank you. All right. You're welcome. That was another episode of the Paradigm 132 podcast with the lovely and humble Miss Elizabeth Bernice. Hit the subscribe button. And we'll be back to you again next week. Peace.